0: Hey, folks, this is how to be whole part three. So I've been talking about how to become one complete whole person. And today I want to do one on emotions, which you may think you don't need to hear about. And actually, if you think that, you're probably the person who needs to hear about this the most. So let me recap for a minute. This entire series uh, has been about becoming a person of integrity who uh, lives as an integrated and complete person who gives to the people around you somebody who's connected to other people and to themselves so in part one i talked about how your thinking brain is actually two parts there are two separate hemispheres on top of our emotional brain and our brainstem and if you took your brain out of your head which i don't recommend it would actually just come apart in your hands or at least the top part would Now, underneath that is your emotional brain, your limbic system. And so when we say things like, how do you feel deep down inside, there's actually some literal truth to that because your limbic system is literally down under your cerebral cortex. So there's this sort of flow in which the lower parts of your brain control our more animalistic nature. Like the lower you go, the more your brain deals with like your heartbeat and your lungs and your intestines and things like that. And then you go up and you get right up to the limbic system and our emotions, and then most closely attached to that, is your right hemisphere, which can't talk, but can only think. And then your right hemisphere is connected to your left by a bundle of wires called your corpus callosum. And your left hemisphere does the talking and is therefore the gateway to the world outside. And so if your two hemispheres disagree, which is common... They don't get along, you can get in a traffic jam, and our emotions can stay suppressed because our emotions don't have a direct uh, outlet through our left hemisphere quite like they do the way they're connected to our right. Our talking left hemisphere just can't access those emotions quite like The right one can. And so righty is the one that makes you love music and art and is more creative and stirs those deep things within you. You are connected to those and you can sort of think about it and process it in a way, but you cannot get rid of it or talk about it unless you use your left logical hemisphere so often these things can bottle up inside of us and we can get stuck in this lonely world of isolated head knowledge and feelings. And if we can't talk about it, other people often look at us like they know something's going on. Like you know these people, you know something's going on inside their head, but you don't know what. You can't talk about it. We might just call it dishonesty, whatever word you want to put on it. And so Now, here's a fun fact. That wire, your corpus callosum, it is much thicker and more dense in women. The female brain is more complex and more interconnected. And so a big misunderstanding is that women are more emotional than men. But in reality, women are just more aware of their emotions. And they're generally able to talk about their emotions out loud because their language can process them faster and easier. Men have to really search and dig for their emotions. And of course, you know, a good old alpha man can't risk looking weak, right? And so that's another barrier. But I would argue that men are actually more emotional. And here's why. Because when we talk, we sort of are releasing emotions. Men often have suppressed emotions that are there controlling them without their awareness and we all do to some degree degree, male or female Uh, But emotions uh, drive us, and we've got to talk about it. You know, we are children of the Enlightenment. We are this rational, scientific method-following, corporate accountability, data-driven, left-brain world, and we are largely unable to speak about emotions because for the last 500 years, we've been told they aren't supposed to matter. Oh, but they do. There are millions of us out of touch with their emotions, and I used to be one of them. And to still, to some degree, I'm sure I'm more than I realize out of touch. It was three years ago, I found myself in the counselor's office with my wife, and we had been married at that point for 11 years, but we were stressed we were stretched, we had been going in circles, same cycles of like she does this and I do that, and then she gets upset about this and I get upset about that. We get in this argument, this really predictable pattern where we could just just get tired of hearing the same thing over and over and it ending in the same place, anybody been there? we were sitting in that office one Tuesday night and it came up that I was upset. Beth did XYZ and I was irritated every time it happened and we talked about it and I told the counselor, you know, I feel like I'm trying to do this and she's doing this and then this happens and all I'm trying to do is this and I'm just trying to do this and then she does that. And the counselor said, well, how do you feel when she does that? And I was kind of surprised for saying, well, I just said, I'm trying to make it better and I feel like uh, all I want to do is this and I feel like she just keeps wanting to do this and and then xyz and the counselor said no 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 Seth tell me how you feel when she does when she does that and I said I just told you how I feel I feel like I'm trying to do this and she's doing this she said no 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 how do you feel, Seth? And I said, I'm trying to tell you. And she said, okay, Seth, you're not understanding. How do you feel right now? And I said, I feel like you're not listening. <laughs> now, Do you hear all of the analysis going on in my conversation? And she said, no, 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 Seth, listen, you you can feel a lot of things. You can be mad. You can be confused. And And I said, okay. She said, how do you feel right now? I said, I feel frustrated because I'm trying to tell you, and I don't know what you want me to say. And she said, okay, frustrated, that's a good feeling. Now, do you, do you feel mad, scared? Give me a feeling for how you feel when Beth does X, Y, Z. And I said, well, it doesn't really matter how I feel because that doesn't change anything. It doesn't change why she's doing this and why I'm doing it. And she said, well, just go ahead and go out on a limb and tell, tell me how you feel. And I said, well, I guess I've never thought about how I felt. And she said well think about it and i sat there for a, what, like trying to think about it because i never actually thought about it because i've been told this line that it's not supposed to matter how you feel because that doesn't change the logic behind it all so i spent like 30 seconds of this weird awkward silence just sitting there thinking about okay how do i feel and then i finally said well i guess i feel sad when she does that And then she said, that's what you need to tell her. All you have to say, you don't have to tell her to stop. You can't control the other person. You can't do anything about it. But you need to tell her you feel sad when she does X, Y, and Z. You skip all of your analysis all of your opinions, and all of your judgments about her motives and just lay it out there like an offering that she has to take and decide in her own free will what to do with. Just tell her you feel sad. That conversation changed my life. Every decision we make, even down to the most rational people on earth, every decision we make is somehow based in our emotions. There was a study done on eight Israeli parole judges in 2011 and they found out that all eight of them were much, much more likely to grant parole to the offenders early in the morning and right after lunch and snack breaks. (laughs) But if you were late morning, like pre-lunch, whenever they were getting pretty hangry, you were screwed. I mean, it literally went from like a 66% chance down to almost a zero percent chance that you're going to have your parole granted. And these judges were like really high tier. I mean, these were, these were like kind of the cream of the educational crop people, but you know, our emotions, our fatigue drive us in all sorts of subconscious and even unconscious ways. Your emotions not only drive you, but they can have a memory of all their own all their own let me give you an example i was driving down a big two lane road with my family out in rural tennessee and we were approaching like a four way stop and we they they had some rumble strips out there and and i hit them and it went brum brum and it gave me this little pattern and it was this weird immediate rush of like anxiousness, like sadness and fear and excitement. And this is like years ago and I'd never talked about these things in this way at all. And so it was really weird that I even spoke up. And the fact that I did is a testimony to how big of a deal it was or how big of a feeling it was. But I told Beth, I was like, that was really weird. Like when we hit those rumble strips, I just got this weird feeling like I was kind of like scared, like anxious and, um, you know, like excited somehow all at the same time and I hit lots of them, you know, but it was like that exact pattern, the sound and exactly how far apart they were spaced. It was so weird that it stuck with me and it bothered me on and off for weeks. It was like, those rumble strips, I would think about it on and off. And, and so uh, one day, months later... We drove over the same ones, and I still had the same feeling. This time, it really was bothering me. I began to think and think, and finally, one day, I figured it out. Those were exactly the same rumble strips, the same design and distance apart. When you're approaching the entrance to our airport, and up until that time, Almost all of my airport trips had been dropping Beth off when she was going to leave me for several days or picking her up when she was coming back for several days. I was either intensely nervous and sad about her leaving or I was intensely excited about her coming back because... I really didn't like her being gone the first few years we were married. This is called cued recall. When our emotions remember something and the events trigger that emotion again, even when it's in our subconscious, it can happen at a really young age. So, there was this guy in one of our therapy training courses who said that he had always had this visceral reaction to flying and he had flown for business for years, but he still, like he freaked out, he wanted off the plane, no amount of Dramamine could help, no rationalization could help. He just said, you know, he could not get rid of this, like felt like he was going to suffocate or be trapped in there. He was not worried that the plane would crash. He just felt this like kind of weird, like wanted to get out feeling and he hated it. And he had nothing that he could figure out that he could do to make it better. He was flying one day and a guy in front of him began choking on the plane. And there was this kind of to do with people rushing in to help him. And it sent my friend through a spin. And later that day, He told his dad about the guy choking on the plane in a phone conversation. And his dad said, oh, do you remember doing that when you were two? Yeah, you got choked on a peanut the very first time you were flying when you were two years old. And after that, he was finally able to start making sense of it all. He had no actual memory of the event, but his emotions remembered it, and this is very common. You may have to ask your parents sometimes why you are afraid of whatever you're afraid of. He, he, this guy was finally able to say, you know, that's why I'm afraid of planes. And here's the cool part. He began to think, maybe I don't have to be afraid because maybe I'm not going to choke every time I get on a plane. And he began this process of letting go. And he said, after many, many flights, it started to release that fear that it had a grip on him that he never could get at. This is my hope for you, that you can identify some emotions that have been deep down inside of you, perhaps controlling you so that you can offer them up and begin the process of letting go in a safe way. Because if you don't get in touch with your emotions, you can become a slave to them and you won't realize it see our logical brain is a bit like a captain of a small boat like a lifeboat floating along in the ocean and there are all of these other places that it's going like maybe other boats nearby people that we're going along with that you're familiar with and so you go back and forth you know across the little distance of the ocean and navigate to the other boats around you that are within your sight decision after decision you're controlling where you're going you visit one boat and then another and the whole time you get acquainted with your life, your patterns, and your rhythms, you've learned to work your life, and you think you're controlling it all. You develop this predictability with how to get to the large boat of work, and how to navigate around issue X in your marriage, and how to score 400000 on Candy Crush, and how to get that promotion, and, and how to raise your kids, how to get your mother-in-law to like you, and you can feel like you are in control of the destination of your life as you go back and forth through all your routine means, but your emotions the whole time, your emotions were like the current you were floating on, perhaps completely unaware of, perhaps you knew it was there, but you had no idea how much it was driving where you were going all along. Let me tell you this, your emotions have way more to do with where you end up in life than all of those little back and forth decisions that you make every day with your logical brain. Now, you may not care to appear deep down inside your soul, but the only way that you're going to be able to do so is to go back and to retrace your history and to think about your past and to spend a lot of time there wading through what may be some some deep stuff for you. And But you got to do it if you ever want to explore and let your emotions free and be under the control of you. Because the way to live in harmony with your emotions is to know them. If you know them, you can know what to do with them, and you can know how to let them carry you along on days when they are pushing you in the right direction, and how to swim against them, or even calm them when you're pushing them, when they're pushing you in the wrong direction. All right? Emotions are like the current, and you're a dude in a canoe. So sometimes my kids do something really, really dumb. Like the other day, they were doing something really dumb, and I got angry, and I went off on them, and it was quite natural. And you know what? They really needed that. That was a good thing that I got angry. It helped me, and it helped them to see that that was a serious thing. It was a current that I am still, to this day, glad that I let it carry me along in that moment. But anger, should it always carry us along? And so there are other times when it would carry you and it's not where you want to go. So part of this is about knowing where you want to go and what's right and wrong and helpful and not. And the other part is about identifying the currents that are underneath you and carrying you along. So some of you, some of you are way downstream and you have almost given up and your emotions have driven decisions for decades. And you'll hear people say things like, Well, I just have a short temper. Well, I just have anger issues. And they are sidestepping, exploring where all that came from. All of us can actually get where we need to go without that holding us hostage. So I want to spend the rest of the time now helping us identify specific emotions, okay? I want to go through what the major emotions are. In the past, there were charts full of them. We used to think that there were uh, dozens of different emotions, and there are uh, to uh, some degree, but we're finding out that it's really a little simpler than that. Um, A couple of years ago, a few years ago, the movie Inside Out, the cartoon movie by Pixar, was released, and it showed five different emotions working together. And it was a very good depiction of how the brain works. They used lots of consultation from psychologists to create this. But then uh, a study recently came out that was done that analyzed the facial expressions of people over time, and they concluded, we really think there's only actually four. And everything else seems to be some combination of these four, or a lack of them, or maybe you're confused, which means you're not sure which one they are, uh, but um, here they are. You can be happy, you can be mad, you can be sad, and you can be scared. So sometimes we say glad, mad, sad, and scared. I've used these for years now uh, with my kids, and with my kids at school, and with myself and my wife, and it has never failed me to use these, but we can always, almost always get to the root of things with these. I'm telling you, if you can become good at identifying these emotions whenever you're having an issue and identifying them and the people close to you, your life will change drastically for the better. So I want to start with anger first because I need to debunk it. Now, the next episode is actually going to be completely about anger because this one controls us so much and it is huge in our culture. But I need to tell you this. Anger is a cover-up. Say, what? It's actually a fake emotion. Now, I don't mean that you don't feel it, and I don't mean that you are pretending on purpose. That's not it at all. I'll talk more about it later. Um, But anger is actually a secondary emotion. It's never the root emotion, and so I would even cast it out of the four because it's really just a pretense, uh, a surface-level reaction for other emotions. So if anger is out, that leaves us with only three, sad, glad, or scared. Now, I want to start with happy, okay? Think about a time when you were the most happy. I tell my kids all the time, go to their happy place. My happy place, currently Yellowstone National Park. Happy is that time when you don't want to be anywhere else. Happy is when you are fully alive in the present, okay? So when you're living in the moment, you lose track of time. You just exist in bliss and gratitude. You are free from sadness, and you're free from fear and anger. In that moment, you feel happy. That's why we like being happy, because we like being free. Now, let's talk about being sad. Being sad is when you are holding on to the past particularly the negative events of the past. You can be sad because you're thinking about good things in the past, but actually you're probably sad about the changes that have taken place, which to you were negative events in the sense that they carried you from there to here, and you really liked something about there. But being sad is when you're holding on to the past. Now, here's where you you should really listen carefully, because most of us think that being sad is like when you cry or grieve or mourn. But no, no, no. When you cry when you mourn that's not sadness when you mourn that is the release of sadness that you had inside of you all along sad is what you did before or what you were before you began to cry or mourn or let go of those things why do we have funerals it's because we intuitively know that whenever somebody dies and that sadness is within us, we have to find a place where we can gather together and collectively, in community and family, let it all out and we can't let it all out of course but we begin the process and when we grieve every time that thing has a little less control of us and a little less control of us you know in the in the cartoon i was talking about inside out they they have it depicted like this. Sadness is the only one of the emotions that can drive the ship to get the little girl back home where she needs to be. There are times when you must go through sadness, when you must grieve to get from the place you were in locked in sadness to the place you are now, okay? And so you've all been there. You've had this great tension, this great sadness or frustration. Things aren't going right. And then it sort of like balls up within you, and then it comes out. You have this big cry, this big mourning, this big cry fest, things hit the wall, whatever, and then somehow that transitions you to be able to live in the present again, more free from the past or that negative situation that you were holding on to. I like to think about, uh, as I used to be a youth minister, the classic summer camp, end of the week, teenager cry fest. Like We used to joke as youth ministers about this. You could always expect on the last night of some big event to have a bunch of kids get sad and reveal all the junk that they've been holding on to because they knew it was their last chance and they just wanted to let it go like any human. They had a safe shot and a safe place to do that, and they would just cry. But here's the the amazing thing about it. I recognized, even at a young age, that whenever they would do that, and whenever I would do that, because I've done it before myself, that the next day there's this lightness, this joy that's on everyone's face that just is so much greater than we had ever had or had had in recent times. Now, you can be sad about a lot of things. You can be sad that people excluded you, that you didn't get that invitation to a party, that people didn't notice you or pick you for a promotion. And you can be sad right away, but it's still holding on to the past because you wish you had been a position where people hadn't done that to you. There are a lot of sad parents who never let their children grow up. And they are not the ones who cried all the time. No, they're the ones who never cried. Because all change is a form of loss. And you've got to deal with the sadness or it will deal with you. So if sadness is holding on to the negative events in the past, that brings us to the next one. Fear. Being scared, that's holding on to the negative events in the future. (laughs) Now, what do you mean? They haven't happened yet. Well, exactly. Those negative thoughts about what might happen if, and it's great that they haven't happened yet. That's in one way the solution to them. But when you hold on to fear, you are holding on to the idea of something in the future that's negative, that might happen, and you're still not living in the present where you want to be. So for about 30 years of my life, I was afraid of diving headfirst into the water. Now, it that sounds silly even saying that. Now, it wasn't a huge deal to me. It was just like this thing I had conveniently avoided every time I had been to a pool. and never talked about it. It just didn't do it. I mean, like I couldn't stand the way that it felt, and I was a little scared of it, scared enough that I just avoided it for like 30 years, and I guess I had never told anybody about it. I just figured that my life was fine without diving headfirst. Off of a diving board and then my kids start getting older and my little girls start diving off the diving board and there's this thing where you get this little reality check of hey you're getting out by a nine-year-old girl here feeling you know and so this summer we were at the city pool it was about the uh it was about that time that we had really been working on talking about our emotions and I recognized it. I felt it come up within me that I was scared. And I had, at that time, I was, uh, you know, in my faculties enough to think about, you know, why am I being scared? And, and this is unlike me, but I, t- I just told Beth, I mean, I, I was even scared to tell Beth, but I just said, no, I'm just going to tell Beth. And I told her, you know, I'm really scared to jump off the diving board head first. Now, s- stop right there. Just that man like 10 years ago I cannot imagine what I would have thought would have happened had I said that sentence to my wife 10 years ago I mean to me back then I would have probably thought she was like gonna think that I was this little puny wussy boy that she didn't already you know think and then and then she wouldn't want to be married to me and like, she would probably look for the next opportunity to leave me because like how awful that a grown man can't even dive head first and this big scenario I would have thought in my head but I told her this time i'm scared to jump off that diving board i've always been scared of diving head first and the weirdest thing happened i felt better but i couldn't have predicted the next thing the next thing was like okay now that i'm still alive after telling her and she hasn't left me for another man (laughs) why am i scared See, I like I hadn't really been able to like specifically think about why I was scared that much. I kind of knew, but what are you scared of, Seth? And I, I kind of knew, but it was a lot more clear now. I could just like focus on okay, why am I scared? Because now I've admitted it, and now I can move on, and I'm not afraid of, afraid of talking about it with somebody else. Well, I figured it out. Like I, I hate it because I always got water up my nose, and I kink like, my head at a funny angle, and it hurts. And I was like, okay, so. I'm scared because I always get water up my nose and I hit my head at a funny angle. And now I'm able to think even more deeply about it and I've got this brand new question that showed up that I couldn't have ever heard before. Seth, what if you don't have to get water up your nose and kank your head at a funny angle? Like I had never thought that deeply about it because I was so invested in avoiding it all along. And so I told Beth, cause she's like on the swim team and stuff in high school. And so I, I just told her, Hey, uh, baby, I always get water up my nose and I like hit my head at a funny angle. I hate that. And so like, what do you do about that? <laughs> and she was like, well, dummy, blow harder through your nose and you got to dip your head down. <laughs> By the time I left the pool that day, I was diving over and over and it didn't hurt. And I discovered that I liked it. And there was this one little tiny area of my life that from here to the rest of my life, I don't have to think about, oh, that's the place that I've always avoided going. This is really important to state here that like, yes, I could have lived my whole life without ever diving head first and it would have been fine. I would have been a complete person and all of that. But the truth is you've been avoiding things that you could probably live a fine life without ever facing it head on. And the question is that I have for you and for me is why would you? Why would you avoid that your whole life when you don't have to. Why not be more free? Now, how do you get back from a place of fear? I, mean, I talked about it a little bit in that story, but uh, it's true that you're going to have to face it head on, but you're going to need something from your tank to do that. You know how I said that mourning is when you start coming back from being sad, like sadness is being stuck in the past. Mourning is the transition back to the present. That begs the question, what gets you back from the future when you're living in fear? And this one may surprise you. Gratitude. What a strange one. Like, our culture doesn't put these two together, but the way people come back home from fear is thankfulness, because fear is essentially saying, I don't appreciate what I have because I'm so worried, I'm so invested in the future that I might lose it, that I'm not invested in right now, and thankfulness is when you say, oh, I remember, it's a recall, it's a memory to like, oh, right now really is a gift, the things that I already have really are a gift, this is not a shallow thing. You've got to be able to cultivate thankfulness and mourning. And I know it doesn't seem like that that's immediately going to allay all of your fears. And by itself, it, it it may not. You're going to have to process it with someone by talking about it. but 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 it will. And that's really what's underneath it all is the thankfulness of what you already have. So... I want to give you a couple of steps on how to get back and uh, from sadness or fear, to get back to the present, okay? And then we're going to wrap this up. So uh, the first thing that you're going to have to do is to revisit your past. Now, whether you're talking about fear, the future, or sadness in the past, you still have to revisit your past because it came from somewhere. Like you were born to live in the moment, and you learned at some point to not live in the moment. And you need to go back and figure out when you started learning to not live in the moment, when it started to get sticky for you. Okay, so uh, that may take a lot of work. That may take a lot of time for you to even locate that in your consciousness. Okay, the second thing that you need to do uh, is try to figure out, you know, that, that exact life event that triggered that, okay, because there were some exact events. Um, Now, if it's sadness, uh, that one's probably easier. You can probably figure it out. Uh, It's the thing that you've been frustrated about that you subconsciously try to steer every conversation towards because you really want to get back to it and grieve it. And sometimes griping and complaining and talking and all of those things, whenever you try to steer conversations in that direction, are just ways of trying to get that sadness out. They're ineffective, but they are ways of trying to do that. And so we've got to figure it out, let it rise to the top, and let it go. Now, it's a process. It's so easy to just talk about it, but it's going to take telling someone, and it's going to take a long time for many of us, for many things. Now, what about letting go of the things that made you scared? Same thing. We've got to name them. This one can be a little more difficult because fear is more primitive, and it often originates at earlier ages. And you know, like I said earlier in the story, sometimes people have found out that an unexplainable fear it came from something that happened whenever they were a baby. Okay, but uh, you you may even need to go back and talk to your parents if you're able to. Then uh, what you're going to have to actually do one step at a time. Uh, is name that thing that you're afraid of, and then name how thankful you are. But listen, it's not just about making a list of all the things that you're more th- that you're thankful of. It's about to. It's about being thankful in light of that thing that you are standing underneath the cloud of. It's about being thankful there in that place in that moment, even when you're fully aware of the reasons why you're afraid. Uh, I think anybody who's done the November Thanks Challenge can appreciate the fact that just forcing yourself to name why you are thankful for something can have profound impacts on your mind. But try it in the context of what you're afraid of. Um, and, and then the last thing I would say, uh, all of this needs to be done in the context of family. People who are close to you, who can, you can confide in, okay? They may also be the people hardest to talk to. Chances are they have something to do with the origination of that fear and sadness, and that can really magnify th- the fear of actually going to talk to them. Uh, but if you don't connect sh- uh, your emotions of fear and sadness you will remember them. You may be unaware at times until one of them pops up out of nowhere. Um, you know, like you, you ever thought you were finished going through all your arguments with your spouse, and then that one argument come back up came came back up, and you were like, "Oh yeah, I forgot we disagreed on this one. We still aren't through it. Uh, yeah, I have to process it. If not, it will build on you. It will become stress for you. you know what stress is?" Stress is the piling up of unprocessed, it's when you ingest more fear and sadness than you can process in a given day. So like say a coworker is rude to you and you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to process it. You don't talk to anyone about it. You avoid telling them because you don't want to create a scene and you go home and you maybe gripe about it and release it in an unhealthy way, but you don't directly release it. It's a tiny thing, but then tomorrow you get a ticket because your inspection is out and then you forgot and you forgot to fill out that form for accounts receivable, and now you're worried that they'll be upset, and then your mother-in-law is acting crazy, and then you've had this thing going on with that spot you found on your skin, and like every one of these is like a small layer of pressure added onto you. It's a weight that just piles up one after the other after the other, because really think about it. At its core, All of that is just unprocessed sadness and fear. That's it. That's what stress is. Unprocessed sadness or fear, little by little, it mounts and mounts and mounts. And if you never learn how to talk about it, to communicate it with someone, you are building a mind of inner chaos and putting layer after layer after layer of pressure on yourself. And when you get dozens and hundreds of layers of unprocessed fear and sadness, you begin to not be able to move stuck under the weight of it all. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is why knowing how to process it is the best way to live a daily routine of processing it in a healthy way. It's so important because people are literally dying of stress. One-fifth of adults in our country are on psychotropic meds. One-fifth are on meds. And depression and anxiety kill millions of people every year. And so much of that is either being caused by or exacerbated by the intake of more daily small trauma than that person is processing healthily. You remember what your grandparents used to do at night? I I get the feeling we used to be better at VISC, because we did it more naturally. Do Do you remember before there were cell phones and screens, what the old people used to do in past generations? They would sit around with family like every night and visit. Most of the time it was with extended family and friends that were around them. That's it. I mean, they didn't call a counseling session because they had no idea what that even meant. They sat and drank a beverage after dinner, and they may have played dominoes or something, and they they talked, and they talked, and they just talked to each other. Like, visiting was the thing to do that was so common, it was almost a nightly ritual. Whole families... um, they they didn't they didn't do counseling, but those hours every night meant that whatever emotions that they felt that day were probably somehow going to get processed and connected with other people that they loved. You know, you might make a remark, however masked in sarcasm or human uh, humor, excuse me, but other people would get it. This has been a practice of humans for. Thousands or maybe tens of thousands of years, and it's only recently that we've given up the nightly visit. And it's definitely not that a counseling session is bad. Uh, It's that's just a targeted, more efficient, more intensive, less frequent way to do the same thing, to process our fear and sadness. And I'm suggesting that maybe we should start to develop life routines and start to really value our connection with our friends and our relationships and just those unimportant domino nights with friends and those unimportant times of getting together. Because we have so greatly undervalued the need for hanging out with friends and not just acquaintances that we kind of feel like we have to, but family. I mean, we act like it's a luxury. Like, oh, we'll schedule a girls' night on November 22nd, and we'll see a movie together, and then the kids get sick, you know, and that doesn't happen. Do you know how much trauma you're going to need to process by November 22nd? Like, this needs to be seriously a bigger part of our life. The Mobile Society has priced us out of community. It is so expensive for most of us, but I would argue that it's actually not living in community that's costing us the most. When you connect your emotions to someone else with words, You just gave them an inlet to the deepest part of you and people will gravitate towards you and toward that. And in that moment when you feel most vulnerable and afraid and ashamed, that's when other people are admiring you the most. That's when other people like you the most. And that's when you have the greatest chance of living a more connected life. All right, so that's a brief snippet of your basic emotions. And next time, I want to tackle the one that I skipped. I am so excited about the next episode. Anger. We are a world full of this one, and it's going to require an entire show. I'm excited. So angry people, get ready. I'm coming for you. Love you all.